Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 42, the one about the couch test, Google I.O., business travel, and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. Another week, another podcast episode with my good friend, Roger Edwards, the voice of the Marketing and Finance podcast and the host of the Rock Dot video series. Thank you so much once again for being the host today. And this is episode 42. And for the geeks who are listening to this show, and let's face it, we're all geeks who are listening to this show, the number 42 will be significant and that will probably be enough of a clue to give away what we're going to be talking about later in film marketing. So we've got a long way to go before we get to film marketing. So let's get straight on with the show and go straight into the news. And we start with Amazon, Roger, who will create more than 10,000 jobs in the UK by the end of 2021. The e-commerce giant plans to create a parcel centre and four new houses, increasing its workforce to 55,000. Ryanair has reported a loss of 815 million euros as the airline was decimated by the coronavirus epidemic. Electrical company Dixon Carphone is merging its four tech and retail businesses, Curry's PC World, Dixon's, Carphone Warehouse and the service partner Team Know-How will all become known as Curry's by the end of October 2021. Airbnb hails early results from the shift to brand building over performance marketing. The travel accommodation business cut sales and marketing spend by 28% to $229 million over the first quarter of 2021. Well, YouTube is launching a $100 million fund to attract creators to its shorts video feature that rivals TikTok. No need to apply, Roger. YouTube will be in touch with you directly based on engagement and views. Dove, the personal care brand marketed by Unilever, partnered with TikTok to amplify a no-digital-distortion body-positive campaign on the video-sharing app. A study of 500 leaders of small to medium-sized enterprises found that 42% have no idea how to create an online profile, despite the fact that it could really positively impact promotion of their business. And Delta Airlines just made a bold new decision. COVID vaccine mandatory for new start employees, but not for existing staff. So, Pascal, I'm going to go straight into the YouTube and TikTok references. Uh, Even though we've done YouTube shorts and TikToks a little bit in the show recently, I just thought it would be worth noticing now. Up until now, these YouTube shorts, the very short videos, haven't been monetized. So if you're lucky enough to be on the YouTube monetization program and you're putting up shorts, then you don't get any um, commission for any adverts that are shown during those. However, they've just launched this $100 million fund, which they're going to fire at people who distribute 
YouTube Shorts. Now, that sounds like a hell of a lot of money, but I guess when you consider how many hundreds of thousands, if if not millions and billions of videos are being put up every day, it probably isn't that much. And it is actually half the amount that TikTok are giving to their creators. And I've noticed quite a bit of grumpy feedback on YouTube itself from creators who are saying what YouTube will just do is they'll fire this at the the big stars like Logan Paul and and um, PewDiePie and people like that, and they'll just make even more money. Whereas, you know, smaller YouTubers with smaller channels and less subscribers will still be fighting to get the recognition. So, I mean, it sounds good, and you know, it it it, it will hopefully put some money in some some people's pockets, but it might also as well increase the number of adverts that we have to suffer on YouTube. Well, I think the criticism that you know you've just shared from the uh, let's call them you know smaller creators is probably merited because the press release, the official press release from YouTube, simply says based on engagement and views, we'll be in touch with you and offer you financial support. So, if someone is doing well already, are they going to be excluded, or are they going to automatically be included, and then you into that kind of uh, yeah, the rich are getting richer and the poor stay poorer? Yeah, it's. Uh, it- We'll have to see, I guess, mm. won't we? I mean, I've I've done a, I've experimented with um, these YouTube shorts, and I haven't seen any bigger or less engagement using that format than the normal videos I put up. But I'm not the uh, ideal candidate to to be a, a research study. I, I'm sure. I also wanted to talk about, and again, TikTok's mentioned in this is Dove. Mm. You know, the 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 brand who are they? I mean, they do they do soaps, they do body lotions, and they've come under quite a lot of um, respect over the years for not always showing, you know, bikini models and um, supposedly perfectly slim or perfectly muscly people. You know, they go for everyday ordinary shapes like you and I, and they've got a lot of kudos for that. So I can absolutely see how they are teaming up with TikTok to try to overcome this perception that a lot of people have that you absolutely have to look body perfect on camera. But there's a slight sort of contradiction in my head because all of these video apps like TikTok, like the shorts thing, and reels on Instagram have all these filters that allow you to, you know, make your face look less wrinkly or make your face look more tanned. So on the one hand, they're saying, don't worry about your body. But then on the other hand, they're giving you these tools to sort of spruce it up a bit. And then add on to that, the content that you see on TikTok, uh, frankly, you know, is really not in line with the campaign. So uh, I, I wish them well. And in fairness to TikTok, they do partner up with good brands. I mean, I received their uh, business newsletter, e-newsletter, and they announced, you know, the different partnerships around the world. And it seems always very, a very wise choice. And you hear more of the kind of partnership from brand like TikTok than any others, I must say. Yeah, Absolutely. They do seem to be trying to treat people right. Mm. Um, we've mentioned Ryanair a few times on the show. Um, famously, I was kidnapped by Ryanair many, many years ago, so I boycotted them for 10 years. Obviously, they've made, like air, all the airlines, a massive, massive loss. Now, as we record this today, Pascal, it's the 19th of May, and our travel restrictions in the UK have been lifted to a certain extent 
over the last couple of days. So people can travel abroad. And, and I've already seen Ryanair firing out the £5 fares to Portugal and the £5 fares to Spain and, and uh, wherever else in Europe. And, you know, it's a hell of a big loss to be then going out there trying to sell £5 fares to people. Mm. It's a tricky one. I mean, Ryanair's always made the headlines for all the right and wrong reasons, as we know, particularly because of their leader. They have contributed to the success of the tourism industry by opening up new destinations and new airports. We used to call them secondary or tertiary airports. Mm. So I think, you know, the UK public has enjoyed traveling with Ryanair. And is it a case, Roger, that nothing lasts forever and Ryanair will have to bring their prices in line with other airlines? I think it's it's either going to be that or the route network is going to be significantly changed mm. once the new normal uh, comes into being. But, I mean, who knows? We hear talk of Indian variants and this, that and the other. And some doom-mongers are saying we'll be back in lockdown in a few months, which wouldn't be good news for people who want to travel. So, so much of this is a watching brief now, isn't it? Oh, because the future is so so completely unknown um the the last one i wanted to draw um our attention to this week is the one where a study of 500 leaders of small to medium-sized companies found that 42 percent had no idea how to create an online profile actually even though the, the this article I was I was directed to by an article in the Sun newspaper, which I have to say isn't exactly my favourite <laughs> term, rag. But the study that's behind it, I think, is legit. So that's why I left it in. If you actually dig deeper, it's more like 50% of businesses just have no idea how to do marketing. And it just reinforces a lot of the things that we say on this show all the time, that, you know, marketing isn't just about doing some advertising or putting some content up or, or doing some Facebook um, ads. It's about that whole working out who your customer is and delivering an offer. And I think that this particular study just reinforces to me that, you know, what you and I do, Pascal, which is to help people understand marketing, it is still massively important in the current environment and when i saw the news uh i was shocked i thought that figure is very high but i realized it wasn't shock it was disappointment because <laughs> I, I just realized that people are really missing out on but they are also i, I guess a victim of self-doubt and yes. you know not knowing what to say or what to do they're probably also the victim of misinformation so there's a lot of ways in which you could try and inform yourself and i'll touch uh, on that you know in a moment but you know if you try to educate yourself about how to create an online profile you'll be just overwhelmed with the amount of articles videos and podcasts telling you what to do uh, and i think what people need is just you know very simple advice that works in a language that they can they can relate to so i think for me the 42 percent say they have no idea i think what they're saying is we don't have the confidence of doing it ourselves or we don't have the confidence by the information that we can access freely because hey what what do we know and uh, yeah it's i think for me it's disappointment more than shock thinking about it yeah it could even be that they it's 42 percent of them just don't know where to start mm. because there is so much stuff out there um and hopefully pascal that means that there's massive amounts of <laughs> opportunities for you and i to mm. uh, to help those 42 percent 
Super. Just very quickly before we move on to the next segment, Roger, your reaction to Dixon's. Mm. So four different brands. To be with you, I, I was kind of happy with it. I didn't think there was confusion in the marketplace, but now it's going to become known as Curry's. Is that going to work for them? Because they are different services, different audiences, and different products. Yeah, I mean, what wasn't clear from the news article is whether Curry's is going to be like the umbrella brand, but they may still have some sub-brand versions of it. I suspect it isn't that. It's all going to be Curry's, in which case they've got quite a big communications job to do because Curry's PC world is quite a lot different to Carphone Warehouse. Um, and those big names, if they all disappear into Curry's, it might confuse a lot of people. Uh, the thing that struck me was this incredibly sort of garish purple colour that is now going to be there their colour and their their corporate brand. I mean, it's a very simple brand. Mm. It's just a circle with the word curries in it. But I'm pretty sure it's exactly the same colour, purple, that the airline Fly B used to use <laughs> um, in the past. So, um, I mean, it certainly stands out. Uh, so, again, a, a watching brief there, Pascal. So, as always, some incredibly interesting news items, some of which we just don't know where things are going to go because the world is still in such a place where... We just don't know what the future holds. So shall we move on and focus on things in a little bit more detail and move on to the content spotlights round? In this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of content. It could be an article, podcast, video, anything at all, to be perfectly honest. The big thing is, though, that we never tell each other in advance what that piece of content is, so it always ends up being a surprise. So, Pascal, surprise me. I don't think I'm going to surprise you a lot, Mr. Roger okay. Edwards, because this is about something we've mentioned twice in the in the news segment, which is the Google I.O. 2021 conference. Mm -hmm. It started yesterday. So yes, hot off the press or hot off the audio waves. I want to give you a quick summary to you and the viewers and listeners of the keynote address from the CEO Sundar Pichai and the different product managers of the Google family. Now, this is a three-day conference. I've been looking forward to attending the seminars, the workshop. They also introduced for the first time this year at the Ask Me Anything sessions as well. Now, understandably, this year, this is an online conference. Now, Google I.O. started more than 10 years ago now, give or take, as a very simple affair with a handful of developers to get together and share what they understood about how to use the Google API and create products for their clients. And it's grown into this almost kind of three-day rock concert type event with big stages and so on and so forth. Well, that was until 2020, of course, Roger. Last year, the conference was cancelled and they've come back this year with, uh, you could call it a hybrid event. So in addition to learning about the plans for the future that Google have, you could also learn about how to create events where there's a combination of video as well as in-person events. So I won't be able to obviously do justice, Roger, to a two-hour presentation from the different team members. But I want to give you the, the kind of top-level uh, address. But I would encourage you, all of you, if you're serious about online marketing in particular, and Google is by default your technical partner, there is merit in understanding their plans for the future. So you can make, obviously, uh, plans accordingly. So the mission for Google, Roger, has not changed. This is all about organizing the world's information 
and answering questions by providing accurate and quality answers to, to your questions. They believe still to this day that technology can help improve lives. So as well as obviously my interest in sales and marketing, you could argue, Roger, or business management, they do get involved in education. They do get involved, involved in health as well, which is part and parcel of this presentation that opened the uh, three-day conference. So the big news begins with Google Workspace, the new name, as you know, for Google Suite. It's now going to become, in the autumn, Smart Canvas. This is the ultimate online collaboration tool, according to the presentation, combining the best of everything they've got, Google Docs to Google Meet and AI. In the future, you'll be able to collaborate online with a document that will automatically update itself. Video would be part of the experience, been improved massively using AI. So, so noise cancellation, better um, um, kind of video footage using low light conditions, but also zooming in is part and parcel of the product, but also, which will please you, Roger, AI gets involved if you're using management mumbo jumbo during your project <laughs> meeting notes. Is that good? <laughs> So they are promising to be able to work better together wherever. So this is all about online collaboration. Again, there were some demonstrations, but uh, I thought it was just something interesting to see where they're getting because that's essentially competing against the likes of Microsoft Teams and many others. Of course, Search was part of the conference. There was many presentations about it. It's all about removing barriers to accessing knowledge. So they talk a lot about language and context. So to begin with, translation something they introduced many years ago is getting better image recognition is getting better using google lens pointing your mobile phone towards an object text or a person to get more information from the web is working better and as they shown last year just as a demo but now it's becoming a, a default kind of feature on android phone live captioning so if somebody doesn't speak your language you could you can get live captioning in their mother tongue, but also someone is out of hearing, they can see the text in English and the like. So no barriers to accessing the world's information. Understanding, they also can show you a demonstration of, let's say you ask a question, Roger, about a particular subject or a topic, maybe the best for you to understand it would be to watch an AR element. So you could point your phone towards an object or the floor, and then you could see maybe a demonstration of a movement in sports. You could see how someone could actually pretend to be a teacher and they could be writing on your wall using AR, the answer to this physics problem and so on. So using AR as a new form of learning is important to them. They are also realizing that in the last 12 months, the how-to question is no longer number one search term on Google. Mm -hmm. The number one search term is, is it true that and then fill the blank. So people are now fact checking a lot more using Google. So they're introducing a feature called about this result to show you where Google got the information from to reassure you that this is obviously a, a truthful uh, account uh, to you to your answer to your question. Experience is also very important in search. They gave a demonstration of somebody planning to go and climb Mount Fuji. So normally <laughs> to this day, when you get Roger is a list of website or a list of you know uh, web pages to consult and not in the future for complex questions you're going to get ai getting involved not only would you get content from the web but if the content you need is better in a different language to yours you'll get translation 
automatically. So for example, we argue maybe to climb Mount Fuji, better off learning from the Japanese themselves. Mm. You don't read or speak Japanese, no worries, you're gonna get in translation translation of the web pages with the best content. They're also gonna give you suggestions using videos, um, extract or also audio extract from the web about better kit or better skills to acquire. So AI will also predict what you need to learn, not just what you need to know right now. So it goes on and on. It's really, really quite exciting. The star of the show, because every year, Roger, there is a star, a platform that shines. YouTube was 2016, Google News was 2017, and so Google Maps was 2018 as well. This year, Google Shopping was the star of the show. And I won't, again, be able to summarize everything, but they are making shopping a, um, um, available no matter where you are on the Google ecosystem, whether you are on YouTube, whether you are on Google Photos, whether you are on Google Lens, no matter where you are, you'll be able to access shopping. They are opening up the shopping graph to more retailers than ever before, small and large. They are also allowing you to activate what they called personal cart reminders. So, so for example, if you were to shop regularly online um, on the Curry's website, if you authorize it, Google can track best price for you. So you could, for example, look at your next camera, Roger, but you didn't go ahead today. Well, if you open the tracking, uh, track the price feature, then whenever the price goes down or there's a special offer, Google will let you know. And so it goes on really to make the use of Google products interesting. They spoke about Google Maps getting better, privacy and data storage was an issue that they spoke about and they are announcing the launch of their first quantum AI campus. So they did it, they gave a demonstration of a quantum computer. Quite frankly, Roger, I feel like I was back in the 80s looking at the very <laughs> first computer. It was so, so exciting. And finally, just to close this very, very short summary of an amazing opening address by the team at Google, they did a demonstration of 3D video meeting. Now, I must confess, when the screen came up and they were showing the 3D video meeting, I thought people were in the same room. Just, just separated by a very strange looking desk. That wasn't the case. A lady was looking at a TV screen, but the depth that they reproduced and the quality of the colors, the skin tone and so on was such that I believed that they were in the same room and so did the speakers. And they were saying that that improved the quality of engagement and the sense of belonging and being together even more so because uh, as a opening and closing kind of statement, Sundar Pichai did mention that unfortunately, whilst we are all connected by a global event, we are still very, very far apart indeed. Wow. And that was just the opening address. <laughs> so there's all the seminars to go through after that. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Well, I mean, the thing is, is I have actually seen a photograph of that virtual meeting. Thing have you? Wow. There's people raving about that today. I've seen it appear quite a lot on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And, and people who I know who are big into um, uh, video technology say this is astonishing stuff. I mean, one of the things, Pascal, is I, I still mainly view Google as a search engine. Mm. Possibly that's because uh, apart from the collaboration we do with the show notes for the, the podcast using Google Docs, I don't use Google Docs. I'm still Microsoft Office based. Um, I, I, I still don't think of 
YouTube as being part of Google, even though, of course, it is. Um, so this has been a salutary reminder for me as to just how much stuff is going on with Google. And it's much, 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 much more than just a, a search engine. Interestingly enough, though, the thing that you did say which caught my attention the most was about the search engine element. And that was the thing that people are searching for is, is it true that? Mm. I think that's fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating because, do you know what, I find myself typing that in as well. I mean, I often see people post things on Facebook um, that are absolute um, untruths. There's one that goes around from time to time where people are saying that there are actually five Fridays in the next in the month ahead, and this only happens like once every 570 years. So it's a you know it's a really unique event. And all you actually need to do is either Google that or put those that text into a website called Snopes, which is a fact checking website right. and it'll come back and say don't be stupid this happens at least once every year maybe even more um, but so many people just take these things you know for granted that it's oh my goodness this only happens once every 500 years and i think that people are starting now aren't they to say is it true that five fridays only happens in one month in 500 years and of course they'll find out no it it, it, it's much more prevalent than that so that was what stuck out for me Mm. but wow what a keynote it it was just very very interesting and once again just um, to close on that if google is a partner to you technically a partner but also says a marketing partner or a e-commerce partner just be interested once a year just give yourself a bit of time to you could even roger just play the put the replay on youtube as a podcast and get on with other things in your day mm. and just pick mm. out the little nuggets like oh that's interesting because mm. if you're forewarned about their plans for the future you can put things in place or in in, in your case is that true that could become part of your content marketing strategy moving forward yeah uh-huh uh-huh right so <laughs> over to you, Mr. Rogers. I hope I've not taken too much time for this segment. Oh, over to me. Okay, this is interesting because I, I'm going to try and segue from what you talked about into what I'm going to talk about because that search term, is it true that, has an element of um, compatibility with what I want to talk about. The reason I chose this content spotlight this week is because I'm becoming increasingly frustrated by the amount of lying that politicians do. And the amount of spin that comes out of some organizations. And sometimes that spin just manifests itself as stupid language. Um, you know, I had a bit of a spat with somebody on um, LinkedIn over the last few days with companies that still use terms like game changing and revolutionary and world beating <laughs> and, you know, unique, very unique, ultra unique, all of which are just cliched beyond any meaning whatsoever. And I came across this article which says, and the headline is, 20 years ago, Warren Buffett shared a brutal truth that most people have yet to learn. Now, this is in Inc. magazine, uh, and it's by Marcel Schwantz. And it's a very short article, but it takes you back these 10 years. And it's all, and, and, and it's about something that Warren Buffett said. Every manager, every politician by um, connection. Anybody who's in a position of either authority or profile should take what he calls the newspaper test. Now, this was 10 years ago, the newspaper test. And he says, basically, I'm actually going to read this out. He says, it's pretty simple. If you're in a position where you're having to make a decision, 
And that decision could be whether to fire somebody or whether to buy stock in something or whether to launch a new product or or maybe to do something a little bit underhand. He says, if your decision or action passes the newspaper test, then you're okay. But if it doesn't, then you shouldn't do it. And literally what he says is, if you made this decision and it appeared in a newspaper written by a journalist who isn't exactly a friendly journalist, would you be able to look your friends and family in the eye going forward? And I've never seen this before, Pascal, but it it just really resonated me with me. And I'll tell you why. Because for me, something else happened exactly 20 years ago this year, which I think is a nice, a, a nice um, comparison to this. 20 years ago, I was working for a big insurance company, and that big insurance company turned a claim down for a lady who was very ill with multiple sclerosis. And I had to appear on UK TV to defend why that company had turned the claim down. The problem is, even though I was incredibly well briefed by the company and I even had media training how to handle the interview, I was made to sit on this couch under the spotlight and I had this almost like fire-breathing TV producer, TV presenter, absolutely roasting me for what this company that I work for had done. And I knew it was wrong. But I was sat there, and I was the politician not answering the questions. I've, I've still got this on video. It's not one of my best moments. Although I was held, hailed as a little bit of a hero by the company at the time. Because when I got answered a, asked a question, I would answer a different one, which is exactly what I hate, hate when politicians do it. Now, as it turned out, of course that company had made a mistake. Of course it should have paid the claim out. And about three weeks later, I had to go back on the television because they ran the story when the company eventually did pay the claim. Oh, God, right. So not only did I go back on the TV show and have to sit there whilst they replayed the video from three weeks previously with me saying, absolutely not, we're never going to pay this, to oh yes we are paying it and i had to come up with some bullshit about how we'd reassessed it and blah de blah de blah and i decided that day when i was sat in that tv studio with those spotlights blaring down at me with that presenter being really horrible to me i said that from now on any decision that i make when i'm in a corporate or maybe it could be any decision really i'm going to apply what i would call the couch test and the couch <laughs> test is If this decision, can I make this decision and be happy to go and sit on this couch in front of the spotlights and with that TV presenter and feel comfortable with myself? And I have lived by that couch test ever since. And I wrote about the couch test in my book, Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. And that's why I picked this little article about Warren Buffett's newspaper test today because I've never come across that before, but it's as close to as, as possible to my own couch test as it's possible to be. And I would really like everybody who listens to this show, if you haven't done the newspaper test or if you haven't got your equivalent of the newspaper test, maybe it's something to think about. You could have your own couch test or your own newspaper test. 
Do you know what's interesting? I, I, I do now believe that you and I, through the, the in the news in particular and content spotlights, we are more and more now the mirror of the mood out there. Mm. I'm sensing that people are just calling in out more now, but also, mm. you know, the silent majority of people who have been behaving honestly and ethically forever. And mm. I've seen how their chosen profession their occupation has been hijacked by liars and hackers. Mm. It is time to defend it more. And, and, and I wonder whether that's you know, the reason why this article caught your attention, but also yeah. it's kind of you know, mirroring. Do you remember when I talked about Bob Hoffman talking about you know, the weasels, you know, ad yes. tech weasels? And, yeah. and I think that rightly so, we should be defending of course, the very good practices out there done by the vast majority. But unfortunately, what's coming through yeah, on sometime, you know, let's be fair, uh, what is mostly visible are usually those who have managed to fabricate or embellish the truth a little uh, from, you know, you're right, your world beating or you know, world class solution all the way to telling half a lie and half a truth in, in the same mm -hmm. sentence and hoping that in a way people will forget about it. The difficulties, I mean, that was 20 years ago. For me, nowadays, everything stays online. Everything, everything you say, write and do sticks around. And I'm, a, I'm very perplexed like you why politicians continue to behave the way they are because the ability to keep track of what they've said and how they behave for this to then be shown to them is even more readily available than ever before and yet that behavior just continues absolutely right and and i say i still say to people the couch test is my marketing conscience. Mm. And I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I hope we're seeing a sea change now that going forward. More people will show that they have that conscience and they have that integrity and will start to see some of this, these downright lies, but also some of this embellishment washed away. Mm. So, Pascal, shall we move on? The next segment is always a good one. Marketing tech and apps. In this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table technology, apps, all of which are designed to make our lives as marketers easier. So, Pascal, what have you got for me this week? So, I want to go back to audio production and audio editing, if you don't mind, okay. Roger, because I was contacted recently by two web-based solutions who have made big improvements on their services. Some of them have been mentioned in the past. The first one is podcastle.ai. Now, some of our viewers and listeners may remember this is at the time when it was introduced to all of us. It was a Chrome ad, I think they called, um, they have a different name, uh, Chrome extension, there, there's a term, which could essentially read text back to you. So it was a text-to-voice conversion. So if you had a long article, but you wanted to multitask, you could essentially use podcast.ai to read the text back to you. And it was a fun addition to you know what we knew about using Chrome as a browser. A year later, they've become a fully-fledged audio production machine. And they are offering some lovely services. So to begin with, they have a very easy-to-use podcast editor. So if you have recorded some audio, whether using Zoom, Audacity, or any other platforms, you can use a lovely visually kind of uh, WYSIWYG editor for your uh, editing. Just think it's, it's a lovely little touch. You can also do your own text-to-voice podcast creator. So maybe, Roger, you have written an article 
but you don't feel like being the one to read it out and you don't want your voice to be on the podcast, that's an option, then you can use podcastle.ai to translate it and create a podcast for people to listen to. They are also, of course, offering what they called a solo audio recorder. So using very much the Chrome browser uh, extension, you can record your own voice. And then they have something called magic dust and this <laughs> essentially using ai to pretty much tidy up your audio clear the noise in the background kind of improve you know the the, the sound of your voice from the trebles and the bass do all sort of uh, equalizing and leveling that you know it should be of no interest to you as a content creator and voila they create an audio you can then use in different ways so just lovely to have someone that started life as a simple chrome extension is now become a um, proper uh, SaaS company so that's lovely so that's podcastle.ai if you know your stuff and your way around audio editing you might want something a bit more advanced and i was reminded by again a newsletter so they do work sometime i know that you and i sometimes can be a little critical of email marketing done wrong but when it's done right it's lovely so i want to remind you of a company called ophonic spelt a-u P-H-O-N-I-C, Ophonics, almost like a portmanteau, your favorite word, I know, Roger, <laughs> between automatic and phonics. So this is using AI and a lot of presets where you can upload your audio content and then you have a plethora of kind of bells and whistles and buttons and radio dials to really vastly, vastly improve your audio they show you a test on the website where literally you have an audio that would come maybe from a Zoom call. By the time it goes through the Ophonics machine, it sounds like a radio show. It's really quite impressive. And they really promote themselves for the pro users, but they have a lovely free to low-level entry feature. So again, Roger, if you want something a bit more advanced than podcastle.ai, Ophonic, I think, is a wonderful addition to your content toolkit. I do like it when we, now that we've been doing the show for so long, you know, we're coming up to a year of Two Geeks in a Marketing podcast, I think it is actually quite nice to go back to some of the technology we mm. reviewed early on in the show and see how it's been developed. And, you know, every year we expect a new iPhone, we expect a new Android, we expect a new this, that and the other. Um, but, of course, it's going to be happening to all the apps and all the technology that we use so i really do like the fact that you've brought a few of these um past pieces of tech out and, and effectively given them the spotlight again to see how they've developed in such a short time mm. so what about you roger what have you got for us today well pascal i have recently uh, been told that i will be going to an in-person meeting in london in september now Quite a lot of my London meetings, which I always used to get up at the crack of dawn, fly down to London, etc., obviously stopped when the pandemic came. And fortunately for my bank balance and my <laughs> clients' bank balances, most of those events and meetings, or especially meetings, will probably carry on going over Zoom because we've all realised that actually we don't really need to be in the same room and incur the cost of flights and maybe accommodation and that sort of thing. But of course... Sometimes it will be inevitable that face-to-face -face is going to be best. And when this uh, invitation came, I realised that the event started quite early in the morning and it will therefore require me going down to London, 
which is which will be a which will be a novelty and secondly probably having to go down the night before and staying in a hotel so <laughs> what it did is it it resurrected my interest in travel apps hmm. um and, and you know, i i of been booking my own accommodation for my uh, travels for for years and years and years, so I think I'm pretty good at it. So the first thing I did was went back to my favourite, which is Booking.com, and it's funny. It's a bit like what you've been saying about the two um, pieces of tech you've just reviewed here. How things change. Now, I haven't looked at Booking.com for about a year. Easier. And 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 they have made some vast um, improvements to the way it's set it's set out and everything the search functionality is great and now of course they've got not only have they got hotels but they've got a greater integ- integration of I guess their equivalent of Airbnb so you can actually buy rooms in people's houses or buy apartments and that sort of thing. So I noticed that that was quite an interesting um advance even straight away but then i came across this other app which i think going forward i might start using side by side with booking.com it's called hotel tonight now this is quite interesting in that what they do is they look at hotels which have got excess rooms almost up until the last minute so we're talking about probably no more than five days before the trip that you're about to take and what they'll do is they've got some sort of algorithm that sees what excess capacity hotels have got that they're desperate to get rid of those rooms even for a cheap price so that they can fill the hotel and the closer you get to the booking date obviously the better deal you'll get and hotel tonight's got a lovely interface it's it's really quite um quite slick you can select things like lux hotels and basic hotels and and i like the way it's set out and they've also got this innovative feature where they'll give you an absolute rock bottom price for a hotel but they won't tell you the name of the hotel until after you've booked it although they will tell you where it is and they'll give you a description of it so if you're very clever you can read the description on hotel tonight and compare it to the description on booking.com because you'll have looked at the map and seen where it is and think ah yeah that's the ritz carlton or that's the the um four seasons or whatever it might or more like the premier in in my case but you know what i mean and uh, the closer you get it the cheaper it is now i did wonder at the moment, the majority of hotels in London are probably empty or not even open. So whether Hotel Tonight actually works at the moment in the way it's meant to, in that the excess capacity is just the whole of their capacity. But I think what I will probably do going forward, because one of the things that I've noticed when I looked at Booking.com now is pretty much every single hotel has an option where you can book a fully refundable room. Right. Whereas before the pandemic yes you could get a fully refundable room but it usually cost a lot more than the non-refundable one now it looks to me as if they're all they're all refundable so what you could do is you could book your hotel on booking.com in advance to make sure that you've got somewhere to stay but then in the four five days before your trip go on to hotel tonight click in the same postcode see what they've got and obviously if you can make a saving Book it with hotel tonight and cancel your cancelable uh, hotel with booking.com. Now, I'm sure booking.com won't be happy with this sort of advice, but hey, <laughs> you know, it's a good way of, uh, of saving a few 
a few bob for our for our businesses so yeah booking.com we all know that hotel tonight hopefully that's something new that people haven't heard of smashing and a very very smart crafty solution thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) so pascal it's time as always after marketing tech and apps to get really heavy with the tech switch on the tardis fire up the flux capacitor set the controls for the heart of infinity let's head back in time pascal it's time for this week in history And in 1897, the first copies of the classic vampire story Dracula by Irish writer Bram Stoker appear in London bookshops. In 1908, the first major Middle East oil strike was made at Mashid el Suleiman in Persia, which I think is Iran. Oh, no, it's Iraq. No, Persia's Iran, isn't it? A gusher of petroleum rose 50 feet above the top of the drilling rig and smothered the drillers. Well, in 1931, a microfilm camera is patented by New York City banker George L. McCarthy, designed to make permanent film copies of all bank records to Dieter Frode. In 1961, in a speech before Congress, US President John F. Kennedy committed the United States to land a man on the moon by the end of the decade. And of course, the goal was achieved with Apollo 11 in 1969. In 1977... Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope, directed by George Lucas and starring Mark Hamill, Gary Fisher and Harrison Ford, is first released. And two years later, in 1979, Alien, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Sigourney Weaver, premieres at the 4th Seattle International Film Festival, presented in 70mm at midnight. In 1995, realising his company had missed the boat in estimating the impact and popularity of the internet, Microsoft CEO Bill Gates issued a memo entitled The Internet Tidal Wave, which signalled the company's focus on the global network. In 2017, Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins, starring Gal Gadot and Chris Pine, premieres in Los Angeles, the first superhero movie to be directed by a woman. That's terrible. I'm surprised by that. You know, I would have said earlier than that, way earlier than that. Just goes to show, doesn't it? It does. Well, you know, I mentioned this week in history that 2001 was the Hurt Locker, Catherine Bigelow, the first female director with an Oscar. Again, such a long way to go, this industry. I know, and that's that's less than 20 years ago. Watched Hurt Locker a few nights ago. What a film that Mm. is. Incredible film. But yeah... The, the industry still has a lot to... Now, we've got a lot of films going on mm. here today. We probably shouldn't talk about Star Wars because we've talked about it so much. But Alien, such a different sort of film. Sci-fi, obviously, but horror. Mm. And again, some incredible iconic moments like the, the uh, baby alien bursting out of John Hurt's stomach. And, and you know, the the creeping around in the shadows and the aliens stalking them and of course it set this this the pace like star wars did for another series of sequels coming forward to me the, it's one of those movies again where everything has worked from the music to the uh, sets using mm. the hr geiger obviously mm. uh, arts uh, art form the uh, cinematography but of course certainly scott newly was doing with the music with the design I've got, uh, for my birthday in 2019, I was given the 40th anniversary uh, book looking back at Alien, 
And uh-huh. it's a massive, massive book. I mean, literally, you want to drop it on your foot. <laughs> and it, it's just remarkable. It's it's a story of, of grit, determination to make the movie happen, very much like Star Wars. And for me, for, I must realize that to present this in 70 millimeters was a big deal because mm. movies were not presented in, in that fashion. So I think mm. for the audience, it must have been a quite an experience. I've got a feeling that this will make film marketing at some stage. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. <laughs> such a good film. Such a good film. And again, very, very quotable. Um, obviously, JFK, that was one of the defining moments of his presidency, saying that the United States will achieve this goal. I think that is one of the greatest examples of how important goal setting is. And we've said before on the show how often companies don't set goals, even for things like revenue and customers. And setting goals is so important because it gives people a focus. The reference, we're going back and forth there on, the, on this timeline, but going back to Bill Gates and his memo. Mm. Now, you can find a copy of a copy of a copy of the facts because that was what people were <laughs> using then. Uh, it's a three-page fax to his managers, and it's really worthwhile reading. A, I think it's of its time in terms of the tone and the structure, but it was speaking the truth in terms of what was coming around the corner. And, and of course, as a leader, as a visionary, he was doing his job. I mean, it's become stuff of urban legend where allegedly he was typing in the back of his car because he just realized that they were, they were missing out on, on something huge. And that completely changed the direction of, of travel, but also in terms of design and production for the Microsoft products once they understood that they had to find a way to link with the internet. Yeah, I think I haven't read the the copy that you've talked about there. I just read this headline and obviously knew about the internet tidal wave itself. Uh, But I hadn't realized that somebody who was so pivotal pivotal to early technology, the development of computers, the development of Windows, could have missed the boat in such a spectacular fashion. I think it's a lesson for all of us because what Mm -hmm. was happening, they were busy building stuff making stuff and you get drawn into what's the expression again working in the business 